Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come, Hello and welcome to the last episode of Still Watching Game of Thrones. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. Joining me for the last time on this series of this podcast is the lovely Katie Rich. Hello, Katie Rich. Am I being exiled north of the wall? Is this uh, is this the end of me? We're sending you to the Isle of Noth. Um, <laughs> I regret to inform it you. It sounds great there. Although it's now full of angry unsullied, so maybe I'll stay away. Well, there's also cannibal um, butterflies there, but we can oh, talk see, about that no later. Oh, see, no one told me that. Yeah. Uh, they never tell you that in the brochure. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we, this is not the end of the Still Watching Podcast. Obviously, we will be back in a couple weeks to talk about the uh, next big HBO prestige series, which is Big Little Lies, which will be back from Cannes. We're all going to Monterey, but we this is the last time we will be talking about Westeros. Oh, it's so crazy. I know this isn't the last time you'll be talking about Westeros. You have like other Game of Thrones podcasts to wrap up. But like when you said that, I literally got chills like, holy oh, no. cow, it's over. 
It's over. Well, until the books come out, right? Um, so um, we will the, will the books come out. <laughs> will they? Um, we are here to talk about specifically season eight, episode six, called "The Iron Throne," written by DB Weiss and David Benioff, directed by DB Weiss and David Benioff. Um, uh, but also we're here to talk about all of Thrones ever as <sighs> well. First, Katie and I have to get through some awards and some discussion of this final chapter. All right. So, so when we were doing our rewatch podcast, I would do a 15 word recap of the episode of Game of Thrones. Um, I just thought I would honor that this week and say, wow, 15 words, 15 words or less. And I'm just going to go with less or fewer, whatever Stannis would say. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I got to go uh, just the end, right? It's the end, the end. Yeah. Here we it's go. It's over. Um, all right. So let, let us kick off with our awards. Uh, we start with our sort of obvious MVP of the episode. Katie Rich, who's your obvious MVP of the Iron Throne? I am as surprised as anyone to be saying this, but Kit Harrington. I thought he stepped up his acting so much in this episode. Like he's got all of these super crucial scenes and the first half of the episode is entirely reliant on watching him coming around to making this big decision that is important and he knows he has to do and Tyrion is telling him to do and I thought he played that indecision really well and like Jon Snow failing to make a decision is a running theme of Game of Thrones but it felt right. really powerful <laughs> this time around uh, and then him going north of the wall and being with Tormund and like I mean I think his face is the no it's, his face isn't the last shot but it's close to the last shot and like watching the mix of feelings of him returning north of the wall I was just I was really impressed by him and in his scenes with Amelia Clark which we'll obviously get into yeah, it's interesting because I think uh, one of the criticisms of these final seasons has been people feeling that Game of Thrones did not really land the John Daenerys romance and that they needed to really land that romance to make this choice feel so painful. And while I agree that I don't, uh, you know, the, the Amelia Clark Kit Harrington friendship, obvious friendship has not translated to on screen fireworks for me. The indecision, it's sort of like last week when I was like, I don't know what Amelia Clark is playing on the back of that dragon, but she's playing mm-hmm. it really well. Like, I don't necessarily buy that Jon Snow loves Daenerys, but whatever it is that he's feeling conflicted about, Kit Harrington is delivering that conflict for me. Do you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So my, um, obvious MVP, I'm going to go meta. You can pick, you know, you can pick an actor, you can pick a character. I'm going to, like grudgingly, I have to at the end of this all give it to Sansa Stark, who got her independent North, got to be Queen of the North, mm-hmm. got her brother on the Iron Throne, and her other brother is like the leader of everything north of the wall. So like the Stark family has it all stitched up from top to bottom, uh, in Westeros. So you know, in terms of who played the game and played it well, because Bran's not playing the game. Bran's like galactic braining this. You know, like <laughs> you, you can't say that Bran's playing. But as far as Sansa playing the game, like she played it, she won, she got yeah. what she wanted. Here Do you go. assume uh, Sansa's the reason that there were three Starks on that council getting three votes for uh, for no reason? I was really uh, irritated by that. I mean, looking at the, I don't think they all voted. Sansa voted, representing the North, and Arya and Bran just sort vote. of like, yeah, sat that's there. true. They got to be there. Well, like I don't also don't know why Bran was there. Yeah, I mean, at least they had Davos at the line of like, not sure we get, get a vote, but <laughs> everyone's like, just like, just... okay, I'll vote. Um, <laughs> I'm here because I survived the series. Okay. Yeah. Well, I did like that, you know, um, 
that they had some people sitting in that council that weren't people we knew. So it wasn't yeah. just like, okay, all the characters, all the actors who survived the series get to decide who the king of Westeros is. Yeah. Well, uh, I was so- grateful for your post because I always assume that if there's characters who I don't recognize in the scene, I just have forgotten about them. And I was grateful that you were like, oh, yeah, we're not supposed to know who that dude is. Yeah, we. I, I have a post up on VF.com right now that's just like a breakdown of who was on that great council because there were some fun faces. Edmure Tully gets up and gives a speech. I love that Tobias Menzies came back for that. I thought he did a great job with it. Um, uh, Robin Aaron was there, young Robin Aaron, Jan Royce, uh, obviously a Dornish prince, as we mentioned. But yeah, there were a bunch of little beardos there who <laughs> were not supposed to know who they are. And it, like, and I, on the one hand, I like that. On the other hand, they could have really tossed if they wanted to the book readers like a bone and stamped a sigil on any one of those like breastplates or something like that. So we can be like, Ooh, house dairy representing or like whatever, you know, it would have been, it would have been fun for us, but that's okay. Um, yeah, so you can you, if you're still confused as to who was on in that uh, great council meeting, go check it out. All right, um, let us switch over to our stealth MVPs or sneaky MVPs of the episode. Katie, who do you have? Uh, it's Archmaester Ebros, aka the Jim Broadman character, who wrote the Song of Ice and Fire, uh, which I, I I had to kind of go back and catch it because I just saw Sam put down this giant book and I was like, oh, he wrote the book because he's George R. R. Martin. Uh, but it's more complicated than that. But uh, I wish Jim Broadman had gotten to come back. But the fact that he wrote everything down. Down and left Tyrion out is perfect. Yeah, this is an um, this is one of those things that people like one of those seeds they planted in season seven that I think a lot of people felt had to pay off in season eight when Jim Broadbent's character says to Sam, "Like I'm working on this history of Westeros," and he like rattles off this long title, and Sam gives a sort of like wincing look and he's like what you don't like the title <laughs> uh you know and it's like uh obviously that is going to be called a song of ice and fire <laughs> um but i think some people did uh expect that like like frodo or bilbo in lord of the rings that sam would be the one to at least like finish it or something like that but no he just he's the book delivery boy instead so that's a fine job to have yeah um my sneaky mvp i don't know how sneaky it is but I have to give it to Michelle Clapton, the costume designer on the oh, show. Man. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about this later, but like the point is Michelle always delivers the good looks, has delivered amazing looks for eight seasons. There, well, there was a season that she took most of off and you can tell, but like has delivered so many amazing looks and you're just sort of like, she didn't need to. <laughs> In this final episode, mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. She didn't need to like, they didn't have to give us just like such a fashion moment, but they did, which like I said, we're going to talk about, but you know, shout out to Michelle Clapton. She like sort of, she dressed a new era of King in, in King's Landing. She gave Daenerys a final sort of like black leather stormtrooper evil like look at the end, like all of it. All of it is a, an amazing situation. So, Michelle Clapton. Yeah, all right, she uh, yeah. she has deserved all of the credit she's gotten for the show and more. Every single Emmy ever. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing what she's created. Um, and like something I love about what she's created is as we were talking about that Great Council thing. I mean, 
I just like that you're like, oh, there's the Dorn guy. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. their 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 look is very different from everyone else, but at the same time, I could say there's that Dorn guy, and I was like, oh, that guy's from the north. I can tell because his cloak is like crisscross this way. You know, like there are yeah. some like signs of where people are from based on what Michelle Clapton has created for them, which is and cool. and a shout out to Bran who gets this great look when he actually becomes king. Like I'm looking at the photos now of them saying goodbye to John, and it's like this like rich black fabric, but it looks kind of northish. It has like a fur vibe to it and Tyrion's echoing it in his clothes like it made me wonder like who is there like stitching together clothes for everybody uh in this newly rebuilding society where no one in king's landing is left alive but uh they put the work in i've had those thoughts all along like who was the seamstress that daenerys took with her to winterfell who made her all those amazing like winter coats oh yeah who's me who's braiding her hair yeah yeah who are who are these like humble workers of of westeros all right um this is where we are going to do i don't know if you're gonna if you're actually gonna do this for me katie but a uh a dramatic line reading of one of your favorite lines from the episode. I feel like you would be doing it such an injustice because what is so great about it is the performance of it. But uh, I'll, I'll do my best. It is, no, Your Grace, I don't want it. I don't deserve it. I thought I was wise, but I wasn't. I thought I knew what was right, but I didn't. Uh, Tyrion, Peter Dinklage killed it throughout this whole episode, but I just love the moment of him reckoning with his past mistakes when Bran asked him to be his hand um, and kind of getting it anyway. And it made me think of a show that I know you're thinking about a lot right now, Lost, um, and the way that it deals with Ben Linus in the finale. And you've got someone who's made all these horrible mistakes and is kind of allowed to think about it, but is not rejected for it. Um, And I really like that ending for Tyrion. Like, his surprise winding up at that small council table uh, and kind of recognizing that this is where his life has taken him. And that moment, and the way that that moment is shot where the camera's kind of moving around him, um, I love that scene. Yeah, it's interesting because um, for a peek behind the curtain, I um, like when I saw the wind going this way that like Tyrion might wind up with a happier ending, I was like working on a post of like a post for VF.com of like, do we think Tyrion deserves a happy ending after all of the mistakes he's made? Mm -hmm. He's just made mistake after mistake after mistake. And it was frustrating me that Daenerys was being pitched as this unreasonable, you know, tyrant when a lot of her misfortune came from listening to Tyrion, give her terrible advice. And she (laughs) followed his advice and it, like, it screwed her over. Like, Tyrion's big mistake wasn't supporting Daenerys in the first place. Maybe it was. But, like, he also just, like, really led her down the wrong path um, because of his loyalty to his family and all sorts of stuff. So, like, I was like, Tyrion has done so many awful things. And he rattles them all off. Like, you know, he yeah. Sh- I-, I was glad that they mentioned Shay. I feel like we yeah. always forget that Tyrion murdered Shay, all this stuff. Um, and so then they made that scene about Bran giving him, like, yes, kind of something he's always wanted, which is to be Hand of the King, but also a punishment. Like, you're going to have to live with your crimes. You're going to have to make up for your crimes sort of thing. And so I was like, oh, I just, like, threw that post out the window. I was like, never yeah. mind. They uh, they they addressed that for me. So remind right. me, this is, like, my, like, Game of Thrones Civ memory. Has he been Hand in King's Landing before? I know he was Daenerys' Hand, but has he ever had that role before? Yeah, he was Joffrey's Hand. Okay, that's what I thought. So he's he's been in this place before, but not under these circumstances. Yeah, and I think for years, like, um, before Tyrion went, like, really dark and before Tyrion started making, like, tactical mistake after tactical mistake, I always thought my ideal ending to Game of Thrones would be, like, some sort of benign monarch with a Tyrion, like, 
chaser, you know, with a tear in his hand. Like, you need tear in his hand. He has that political mind. Like, he he knows when morality should be bent for the greater good sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just, like, went so far off the path of being a good political advisor that I was like, never mind, get this guy away from any administration. I don't <laughs> want him. But here we are at the end of it all. Um, but yeah, yeah, he was hand to Joffrey and, uh, in season two, uh, and he was good, but, but, uh, obstructed at every turn by Joffrey's awfulness and also Cersei's plotting. So, yes. Uh, All right. So I think it's going to turn out better this time. Here's Tyrion unfettered. All right. My dramatic line reading is means I get to do an impression of like my favorite character do an impression of at the end of, uh, Game of Thrones, which is, why do you think I came all this way? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's King Bran the Broken or Creepy Ugh. King Bran, whatever you want to call him. But um, apparently he knew this was coming. W- you know, once he says that, if you go back and rewatch, I think it is episode two of the season. It might even be episode one. There's a shot where Tyrion is in the courtyard of Winterfell and Bran is down at the like bottom of the courtyard and Tyrion's sort of like up on one of the like walkways and they share this look. Um, hmm. and it's just a weird, significant look. Like, Bran's looking at him, and like, those of us who are watching closely were like, okay, something. Bran sees something. Yeah. With Tyrion. We don't know what it is. Uh, so in theory, maybe it was the destruction of King's Landing, or maybe it was this. So do um, we think that Bran has known that this would happen since he became the Three Eyed Raven? Is that how those, those powers work? Um, the way that, Brand's powers work. He can see the future. That that is an ongoing debate uh, in the fandom. But it, I have had confirmation from people who work on the show that Brand can indeed see the future. But the what's murky about his powers and what is narratively convenient about his powers uh, <laughs> is that he can't always decipher what he can see. Yeah, uh, he can't understand what he can see, or he, or he, like just because he can see everything doesn't mean he's always like looking at everything. If that makes sense, so like he has access to all the information, he's just not always looking at it. So got it. When like what did Bran know and when did he know it about when he would become king? I'm sure as the Kempstead Wright knows, but um, I'm not sure it's clear from the show i would say it's clear from maybe that shot he shares with Tyrion, and then there's like Tyrion's interest in bran is a running theme of the season um there's a scene right before the battle of winterfell in episode two um when Tyrion just like tucks up with bran is like tell me everything you know i'm just <laughs> curious right. you know so like this has been slightly planted but not uh in any sort of really deeply rooted way sure um all right this is where uh, katie and i could not possibly choose two different winners for this award it is the best dress award katie i will let you announce the obvious person that we picked for this award all hail sansa queen in the north man she her outfit rules she like shows up in the throne room she's got like these leaves stitched into it which i guess are the um the not the, the weirwood leaves tree? yeah yeah the weirwood um leaves, yeah. yeah you have paid more attention to costuming on this show to know what makes this gown so spectacular well yeah i mean i think the the gray of it which is not you know we've been, been seeing sense in a lot of dark um ever since she sort of fell under Littlefinger's thumb she yeah. she opted for a lot of black some like 
of things, but like this, this gray, which looks like such a stark gray to me, uh, how stark gray, this like wolfy color. I, I mean, like this is a wolf gown. Like she's wearing this wolf gown. She's got the weirwood leaves stitched in there. Um, and this, that's been a running thing for Sansa is like, you don't have to ask who made Sansa's clothes because it's usually Sansa. You know, mm-hmm. she, she has made her own clothes throughout the series. She was constantly doing this, like, you know, we saw her in the very first episode stitching. She's constantly doing these, like, embroidery things. So the fact that it has this, like, meaning, uh, something that is significant to how stark these weirwood leaves stitched onto this beautiful sort of wolfy gown. And then she's got this incredible, like wolf crown. Oh my god, the wearing. crown is so good. Yeah, so she looks amazing. There's this, um, there's this discussion going on last night based on, um, a tweet that went viral. And I want to say it was, um, Anthony Oliveris, but please let me know if I got that wrong. But, uh, he was pointing out, and once again, I have not checked this because I do not have a, um, an English history degree, but apparently, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth was crowned with her hair down. This I know from Kate Blanchett films. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she, that was like non-traditional and she did it in order to reclaim her sexuality. Um, we have no precedence in Game of Thrones for women being crowned with their hair up. Cersei's the only other queen we've seen crowned and she, um, you know, she had that like jaunty page boy. So like, um, I don't know if, if Sansa getting crowned with her hair down is any sort of in defiance of something in Westeros. Mm-hmm. Um, it but, looks uh, great you know, though. It I mean, looks great. Sansa's and- hair is a great asset always. Well, she's, you know, she's a redhead. So like any sort of, you know, I will not get in the way of any sort of like, this is evoking, uh, Queen Elizabeth somehow. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Why not? Great. Okay. Uh, um, question that I feel like I should know the answer to. Are Sansa and Tyrion still married technically? Um, I, I don't know that we know the answer to that. Um, because she got married to Ramsay after him. They never got like an official annulment. Annulments do exist in Westeros. I mean, I think it's just like messy. And I, I mean, think I guess can like just, they like, can still be legally married, but who cares? Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's the case. They're still legally married, but who cares? I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, all right, and then last but not least, our ship of the episode, two characters, or like two inanimate objects, or whatever that we are rooting for to get together, Katie Rich. Who is your ship of the uh, final episodes of Game of Thrones? I'm trying to do what I think Richard would do if he were here. And I, as far as I know, he hasn't even watched the episode yet. But I feel like Robin Arryn and the Prince of Dorne both showed up to that meeting looking great. They both look young. They got lands to rule. Uh, let them team up and, uh, you know, create a new alliance. 
Yeah, um, our our producer of this podcast, Dave Gonzalez, uh, has been a fan of Robin Aaron, just like a joking oh, yeah. fan of Robin Aaron. <laughs> yes, for years, and so when he showed up, like looking so good, uh, and, and and like with that sort of like, um, loche sort of princely. Oh, we had like a know, real Timothy Chalamet vibe. Yeah, yeah, he was just sort of slouching, legs legs crossed out in front of him, sort of thing. And it was just like, yeah, it was really good. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to ship. Um, okay. Here's, here's my like fan fiction of the future of Westeros under, uh, King Bran. <laughs> Cause there are like some happy endings here for a lot of our favorites, blah, blah. And, and Bran of Tarth gets to be, uh, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, which is a huge deal. Yeah. She went from like first female knight in all of Westeros to like Lord Commander. What a glow up. Um, so that's great for Brienne. And she obviously, she knighted Pod. So he's Sir Pod. He's also in the King's Guard. So like here are our, you know, valiant heroic people holding, like wearing that shiny gold armor that is like, I think it's the first time I've ever seen the King's Guard armor look like it, you know, belongs on the people that are wearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all great. Here's an issue I have. If you're in the King's Guard, you, uh, you know, you're supposed to kind of take a vow of chastity is part of the King's Guard. And I don't know that I like that for either Brienne or Pod. So well, how I'm seriously just like- have vows of chastity been taken on this show, though? I mean, you can't get, well, here's, here's what I'm saying. The, for the future, for Bran Stark's administration as king, I think he's going to be like, you know what? Vows of chassis are so, you know, reign of Baratheon or reign of Targaryen or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> because Sam's a maester and I'm sure maesters aren't supposed to have wives, but like, you know, he's not breaking up with Gilly. So like yeah. Sam gets to be a maester and keep Gilly and Sam little Sam and the other baby on the way, right? Mm-hmm. These ma- B- Bran and Pod get to be in the King's Guard, but also get to like pursue whatever they want romantically. And heck, Jon Snow, you're in the Night's Watch, but like it's okay. Eventually you'll get over your two girlfriends ever in your life dying in your arms and <laughs> and move on to someone else. So I'm just saying like uh I ship the end of Vows of Chastity in Game of Thrones. That's that is a great idea. Uh, do you, do you feel like you have a, an ideal match for Pod or Brienne? I was just thinking, like, should they get together? It's like, nah, that's not the relationship. But I, I don't know who, I mean, I guess there's other people left in King's Landing. I'm, I'm a few, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I just want Pod with, like, a really nice girl. Like, for a while I was shipping Pod and Sansa as sort of like a, um, he would just be so nice to her, mm-hmm. you know? And then she, I think, would be nice to him in turn. And it would just be like, you know, Sansa could be like, uh, austere and badass and ruling in the ways that she likes to be with everyone else. And then with Pod, she could just be like, you know, chill, let her hair down. Uh, so that was one thing. Or just, you know, Sansa doesn't need a boyfriend. She can do whatever she wants. I don't know. Uh, I, I've no one specific in mind. Just, I just want everyone to like live their full lives. You want everyone you to can, have love. You can have a career and a romance. <laughs> you can be so. Queen of the North and have a romance. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like the idea of Brienne of Tarth. Like she, she Brienne of Tarth gets like ultimate career goals, but like I want her to have the whole package. Is my yeah. point. So, yeah. There we go. Um, all right. So let us talk about a little bit more about the episode as a whole. I think you and I both liked it better than maybe some folks did. 
Um, I certainly liked it much better than I say the previous three episodes. Yeah. I had a hard time with three, four, and five, and I liked six a lot better. Um, Yeah, yeah, I feel like I I have this, like, when a show ends that I like and I care about, and I just get to see how the characters wind up, and I think this show revealed a soft spot for its characters that maybe some of us thought it might not have, kind of going into the Battle of Winterfell expecting everyone to die. Um, It's just, like, you know, getting to see Arya, like, embark on a new adventure and seeing Jon's, like kind of joy at being back in the north like i like that it took care of everybody and like obviously not everybody there's like various dangling plot threads but um i know a lot of people were like hoping to see the return of magic or see something like dealing with like various like crazy world building things but i thought focusing on the characters and wrapping them up and putting them where they belonged was the right thing to do yeah no i mean george r R. martin has said for a very long time that his plan for the ending of game of thrones is bittersweet the only argument I might make about this finale is that you have, like, it goes hard on the bitter for, like, 20 minutes, and then it's, like, or, or maybe 30 minutes, I don't know, however long it takes for Jon Snow to kill Daenerys and drug on mm-hmm. another throne, and then it's just, like, hitting you really hard with the sweet, you know what I mean? And it, So it doesn't sure. feel, like, modulated, it's just, like, a hard swing in tone. Like, I think, and I felt that the most, you know, you've got this time jump, basically, that happens, right? Yeah, it's so like Tyrion a couple and, weeks that Tyrion's in there, right? Yeah, Tyrion and John have time to grow their beers in jail. And um, <laughs> Tyrion, Tyrion rolls up to this great council meeting, and immediately they bring Edmure in for, like, immediate comic relief. And you're like, ah, we're in a different phase of the show now. Yeah, that felt good because it's been so long since there could be any genuine comic relief because the stakes of the season have been so high. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Um, Something that I didn't like, two things that I didn't like. One is that I feel like Grey Worm is stuck in like sort of a villain role through the rest. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. he gets his like, I'm going to the Isle of Noth hang out with the cannibal butterflies um <laughs> ending so he's not like i'm gonna go you know perpetrate more war elsewhere in the world he's he's retiring yeah in theory or they're about to make not the terrible place i don't know but like i just didn't like gray worm being our like main antagonist in that great council meeting yara got to do some a little antagonizing too yeah. um you know she's still loyal to daenerys um but yeah, I just didn't I didn't like that for Grey Worm it was and his the, all of mode. the logic of like how all of that came together were like Grey Worm's like, we need justice and then it's like Tyrion's like, I have an idea. He's like, All right, fine, I guess I just have to let you decide what's gonna happen. It was uh like it like Grey Worm didn't seem to be the one who had all the power here, but he has all the big armies. Like I don't really know how the like balance of power worked out well in that time jump. Um so I think you're right that like you know, Grey Worm turning full vengeance villain after Missandei's death, like, it goes along with Daenerys. and like, he's the only one. But when she's gone, like, he's kind of stuck in this position of the Enforcer. Yeah. And uh, maybe I wish – you know, Jacob Anderson has been so great, so I'm not faulting his performance. But maybe I wish I could have seen a little bit more of that mode maybe sitting uncomfortably with him so that maybe uh-huh. then when Tyrion's like – uh, we can just elect a new king. Maybe Grey Worm is relieved because he's like, I don't want to like, yeah, be like, if in we charge him, of the city and this army, like, you know, when he's executing those Lannister sh- soldiers in the beginning, like not just seeing it be pure like vengeance, right? Exactly. Um, all right. And then the other thing I don't like um, about this happy ending is that Braun, who has done nothing to deserve anything, 
<laughs> is the Lord of Highgarden, which really bothers me. Master of Coin, I don't mind too much because I feel like you need to have someone like awful in the role of Master of Coin. This is the little finger role. Okay, um, okay. Tyr- Tyrion was Master of Coin for a while, but like I feel like uh, Bronn is a good thing to have on maybe on that small council in that he's very likely to fuck a lot of things up. And I think you don't need that council to be like all the perfect paragons of virtue on on the council. Sure. And so like is Bronn going to plunge them all into like mass amounts of debt to the Iron Bank? Uh, probably. You know what I mean? Like that's probably something Bronn's going to do. So I'm not that mad about him being master of coin. I am mad about him having Lady Olena's castle. Like that bothers me. Like get out yeah. of the Tyrell family home, please. So my my fan fiction thought of this and and um I don't know that I'm the one that came up with it, but it's something that uh, I was joking with about with some friends is that um Elena and Marjorie, the ghosts of Elena and Marjorie. Just like <laughs> bedevil Braun in his castle for the rest of his life. Oh, um, that would be so satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they just I like, like fuck with him. I like the small council vibe. I like that there's Braun to kind of like needle everybody. I love obviously Master of Grammar as Davos picks up Stannis's habit of correcting other people's grammar. Um, but I I did expect it to end on more of a note of like the cycle is going to perpetuate. Like Bran will be a good king. They're going to pick another one. Like they've kind of have pseudo democracy. Um, but I, I thought there was going to be more of a sense of like the, the story ever turning onwards, like not just a pure, okay, this is totally working out perfectly for everybody feeling about it. Yeah. yeah that's a, I think that's a good point. I think uh, if it were Martin's, like a little bit more of a George R. R. Martin version of the ending, there might be more hints of like same as it ever was. Yeah. Whereas this seems to be selling, no, we really did break the wheel. And, yeah, that was yeah. kind of what I was surprised by. Like, I, and I think like the idea that like you know in ten years they'll like not ten years so whenever Brand dies they'll get together and like all choose a new king and it won't just be like automatically someone else. But like that's probably not. I, I don't give democ or pseudo democracy in Westeros very long before war starts again. Basically. Yeah, I mean, like, it was it was bananas that Sansa and this great council is just like, um, yeah, but I'm going to be independent, okay? Uh-huh. Okay, cool. I mean, like, why didn't Dorne just be like, hey, we were independent for a really long time, so we would like to be so too. Like, yeah. Dorne has, a like, a very long history of being independent from the Seven Kingdoms, and so the fact that, like, they didn't speak up or anything, you know, the Iron Islands are independent, so, like, Yara, you know, gets to stay on her island and that's fine but like so why does Yara get a vote then if she's independent i mean it's a great question um but yeah so now and and uh, with the north gone it's the six kingdoms which is uh you know it's funny to think about um but yeah it's it's this is a real power grab from the stark family i know It's, it's, it's like nuts to me that they let all of this happen like you know with with uh with the starks having so much power uh even though Arya has left westeros i was very grateful that i was right that um i didn't know what was gonna i i, I was pretty sure daenerys was gonna die in this episode i didn't know how and i didn't know if it was going to be john or Arya mm-hmm. and um like Arya for john sort of thing and i felt like it should be john because the whole like he who passes sentence swings a sword sort of thing. Yeah. But um but I was worried it was going to be Arya. And some people seemed convinced it was Arya. But like I felt like the whole lesson that Arya learned in the bells from Sandor was, 
don't be a murderer. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, I can't have Arya come back in the next episode and be a murderer, even if it is like the right thing to do for the realm. Like I just, I need her to have just learned that lesson. And so I was really happy to see her on the ship. Um, she got a like, you know, jaunty adventuring new hairstyle. Um, yeah, and- I was so happy about that. Yeah, and um, it it evokes um, the end of season four, the children, which is a really good episode of Game of Thrones, the season four finale, when Arya left for Essos for Bravos in the first place. Mm-hmm. It ends with that like same choral version of the theme which we hear in this episode, uh, and Arya on a ship going off, and so they like they they mimicked that for her, and it was it was um yeah that was a really hopeful positive ending that i could really fully get to behind like aria has put the trauma the traumatic way in which she was dealing with the events of the season behind her but she's not going to be like you know lady of storms End or whatever she's off she's going off adventuring it's just not murder adventuring and that's great you know what i mean so yeah how do you feel about uh a somewhat similar ending for john once again it may be like it may be almost too much of a happy ending for John because like Kit, as you said, Kit Harrington was really selling that conflict and like this is a plea, you know, he's separated maybe forever from his sisters mm-hmm. um, unless Queen Sansa decides to visit the, oh, she'll visit the wall. Come yeah, on. come on. Um, you know, he's separated from you know, all of his friends except for Tormund and Ghost. Like there's, and there's, Ghost. Some, there's some poignancy there. But the North is where he's always been truly happiest. And there is this smile in his face that he has when he like sort of hits the road. And I guess it reminds me of, and forgive me, I can't think of the author, but there was a piece a couple weeks ago. I want to say it was on slate, but I could be wrong. That was about sort of like uh redemption in redemption is a reality in Westeros for the male characters. Hmm. And so like Tyrion gets a chance to like atone for his mistakes and John gets a chance to like atone for his crime. Uh, Daenerys admittedly her crimes are more severe, but like, you know, this idea that like, I think the piece was originally written for about Jamie and I don't know if it really sticks because Jamie's redemption arc was slippery and he backslid and all this sort of stuff, but it yeah. felt like the Jamie journey of like, I can push kids out of a window and still be a hero or Tyrion, like Tyrion, or Tyrion. Do, doing all those bad things and then getting hand of the king right and so like i mean i think you see in the john and daenerys sort of final throne room scene he's trying desperately to give her an out you know what i mean like he's trying to get an answer for her that would mean he didn't have to kill her uh-huh and she can't give him that answer yeah um and so you know that's all there it's like if she had wanted redemption if she had had remorse in that moment i think there would have been an avenue of redemption for her once again it's just like you know the the gendered nature of this ending is sort of impossible to ignore we have queen sansa but at the same time you know i don't know if you saw that uh entertainment weekly had you know sort of these wide-ranging interviews with amelia clark and kit harrington about how they felt about the ending and kit harrington like one of these interviews took place in a tent in Belfast while they're like filming it. And Kit Harrington was like, so scared that huh. everyone would think this is just the most sexist ending of game of Thrones. And game of Thrones is already a show that, that 
sort of grappled with this with this perception of gender issues and so kit harrington's like okay i get to kill daenerys who is this symbol of like female strength for a lot of people like that sits really poorly with me yeah. you know so like he, he saw um, it coming yeah how do Definitely. you so i oh sorry finish your thought no no i mean like kind of how could you not and so then in order to do it anyway is either an act of bravery or something else willful willful blinders up for you know what the what the current climate is i don't know what are you what were you gonna say i think i have landed okay on the daenerys arc after you know the entire internet has been a week arguing about it and uh, your piece that was written a couple weeks ago that i've been retweeting because i feel like it was so prescient kind of comparing her story to Gollum's in lord of the rings where she is uh consumed and ultimately destroyed by this thing that she desires so badly the iron throne instead of the ring of power um i feel like the vert like they were telling a story about how power is consuming and can corrupt and daenerys has obviously been this complicated messianic figure this entire time and i think the fact that she's a woman made us not see that bad uh, outcome for her as much because you want to root for her more like when you see her in the beginning kind of being you know captive with these um dothrakis um and i think they as they built this story like said it was a story about power and not about female power and wanted to tell it that way um which i don't think works i don't think you can tell a story about a woman in power and not have there be complicated gender dynamics in it right um but i think her downfall is not because she's a woman in power but because she's a you know uh, she's got this inflated sense of her value as a hero um and it doesn't feel – I guess it is sexist because that's what the optics are, but I don't think they're saying – I don't think they're saying something fundamentally about women in power, and I think Sansa really does a lot to counterbalance that. Um, and so I, I feel okay about it in the end, but I understand, obviously, why people don't. My my issue has never really been with um, you can't tell the story about a woman, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think this story is off limits for a woman. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that it came down to, like, these two uh, volatile women, queens. Cersei in the and episode, Cersei and yeah. Daenerys. I think that's unfortunate. Like, if she'd been squaring off against, you know, like, in the books, we think maybe it's going to be this character, this, like, young Griff character that's not even in the show. Like, maybe it's going to be him. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, like, I know. It's like, I mean, everyone, a lot of book readers think Cersei dies way earlier in the books than she does in the show. Hmm. Um, but, like, why Why would you bump off Lena Headey and, like, yeah. have her leave when she could stick around? Um, so, uh, you know, if it's Daenerys squaring off against, like, um, a man in power who is tyrannical, like, that takes it, some of the different. air out of it. You know what I mean? And, um, but my issue has never been with the story. It's with the execution of the story. So, like, I've made a made piece of the – by the time we're in the finale and all this Daenerys stuff at the beginning of the finale, like, that stuff all works for me. Like, yeah, totally. Her uh, big just, scene, like, everything yeah. she said to John in that scene, I was like, yeah, that is exactly what she would say. Yeah, and her big speech, too. Like, all of it is – it was really great. And, the you know, obviously that killer shot of the dragon wings coming out behind her. Like, yeah. And, and like – you know, it looked massive. That set where she's on the steps and King's Landing is like the Red Keep is like ruins behind her. Yeah. It looked incredible. I thought that. I mean, it I looks thought, like a Nazi know. rally, like very deliberately. Oh, yeah. I think. 
Absolutely, intentionally, but like I was watching it. I mean, I I got a new TV this week, but I was watching it and I just like <laughs> a couple times at the beginning of the episode, I was just like, this looks great. I was like, this the just show looks is expensive. <laughs> this looks amazing. Um <laughs> But I, but, but I still have my objections on how we got here. And especially like reading these, uh, interviews that Amelia gave both to Entertainment Weekly and to The New Yorker, Sarah Larson at The New Yorker, where she talks about how, you know, she didn't know this is happening to Daenerys until she got her season eight scripts. I know. You know, and I was just like, I, maybe I get like, cause they've known for a while, right? Yeah. So like, I get. Not tipping your hand too early because you don't want to flavor her performance too much, maybe. Yeah. But I feel like they should have told her in season seven. Like, when Daenerys comes to Westeros, tell her then. Give her, like, a little bit more time to work on this, you know, and work on her emotions around it. Um, that yeah, they I think valued been- the surprise yep. too much, I think. Yeah. And, like, it's almost as if if the season had been 10 episodes, they would have had more time to lay all this stuff out. Like It's almost as if the last two seasons have been 10 episodes, we've had a lot more. Yeah. I saw someone, I think it was Alyssa Rosenberg at the Washington Post, like, tweeting that, like, the decision to make these seasons too short will be, like, one of the worst in TV history. And, like, I don't know, maybe. Um, But I do think it didn't serve anything in the end. Yeah, I'm unwilling to make, like, big proclamations about what Game of Thrones means right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it feels <laughs> way too early. That was, I mean, that was sort of one of the most cheekily meta lines of the episode, right? Um, where someone asked Tyrion, if, I think it's probably John or whatever, like, is this the right thing to do or whatever? And he's like, ask me again in 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's definitely the showrunners being like... Did we do right? I don't know. Let's talk about it in a decade from now, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, okay. Anything else that I liked or did not like in this episode? And then just like, I don't think that I have anything else specific to pull out, but I will say like, this doesn't leave. Well, I think the way in which these last two seasons were rushed sort of blunted my emotions around the end of Game of Thrones in that, like, it was hard for me to get emotionally invested when I felt like a lot of narrative and character shortcuts were happening. And so then I was just like, it felt like folly to me to pour my emotions into characters that I felt like were behaving inconsistently, like internally, right? Mm -hmm. And so I sort of stepped back from the end of Game of Thrones. Or maybe I just did it as like self-defense of like this big thing is ending. Yeah, too I much, need to take too a step much back work from to it. do to get emotionally yeah, involved. I don't know. Whatever it was, like, um I I my whole heart was not in this final season or this final episode. And so I'm not feeling like this earth shattering, like, oh my god, Game of Thrones is over. But I'm also not left with like a really bad taste in my mouth, which um I think some people feel like they are. This finale, you and I are like, you know, mixed positive kind of mostly positive on it yeah and i'm just sort of like all right this is how it like as far as like a montage let's check in with everyone goes like you know the camera tracking the back of these various starks as they take their you know oh, steps into a new adventure so much it's good i think it's good so yeah you know I, I i don't i've got a lot of issues with i'd say definitely the last two seasons probably Kind of the last four seasons of Game of Thrones, if I'm being honest with you. But <laughs> that's um, a real book reader take right there. Yeah, it really is. But um but yeah, I think I think as much as they could stick the landing with, I guess, the info they had and the 
shortened schedule that they put on themselves. Uh, yeah. They stuck it as much as I think they possibly could have. Yeah, I, I think I'm a real easy sell on series finales. Just like as I was saying, like I just like you know handing our characters over to their fates and like you know, having them look toward the future. I just like that feeling about it. Like I feel again like similarly to how I felt after the Lost finale, which I like get is problematic for various reasons. And Lost had the same problem. Like we're in its final seasons, it was like, what are you doing? Um, but it ended on this note of like you know waving goodbye to everybody, which I love and i really love that stark montage at the end and seeing where everyone turned up and like you know the un- unexpected redemption for Tyrion, um which makes it easy for me to just think less about like oh yeah they could have done this like i kind of wish i'd see more of that i do wish and i told you this already that they that brienne had started her own chapter in that dang book I, it, it was such an easy thing to do um, and I get that she's like modest and it's not she's not all about like trumping up her own legacy but it like just a nod to that would have made me feel better. Maybe that's my one big complaint. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, thankfully it wasn't her final moment because her final moment is like getting on with the business of the small council and being that's true. Sort of like that's true. cautioning voice on the small council. So like if that had been her last moment and it was all about Jamie, I would have been um, equally as frustrated as you and some other people on the internet. Um, I got – that is the one place where I allowed some emotions for, to seep in, maybe because yeah. of my Jamie, my Jamie feelings. But also I thought Gwendolyn Christie just did a tremendous job with this dialogue-free, uh, you know, this scene. She just had – her face to work with and she worked with it so yeah um, and like if sam and uh brianne are gonna be the people who like write the history of westeros from now on like i feel like we're in good hands yeah all right um kitty what is like the number one thing you're gonna miss about game of thrones oh my god like uh, th- like this the like talking about something and knowing everyone else is talking about it and like sunday nights are insane and we've been working together for years like staying up way too late on sundays you way later than me um but just the like everyone experiencing something at the same time like all that's left for that is award shows and sports i guess but that's not as much my thing um i, I guess that's like too meta but I do really buy that Game of Thrones is the last giant show we're all going to talk about, at least in this way. And it feels like a real loss. Yeah, it does. Yeah, no, it definitely does. It definitely does. And uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, to not get too emotional about it, like I'm hoping there is something that's going to come next that's going to feel not a show that is as big, but something else. That will make this connection we all feel around this feel as important. Um, it's interesting because uh, an interview we did a couple weeks ago with Paul Fairfield, the sound designer, who was, um, you know, having, having, trying to come to terms herself with some of the negative feedback to the episodes that she worked so hard on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she's like, she came to this very Zen place where she was just like, I think we just all need this. We all need to be able to like release steam. We all need to be yell about this, like about this like fake kingdom somewhere. And we all need to like yell together about it because the reality, like once it's, this is over, then we have to turn our like attention back to the reality of like our own politics or whatever it is. And that's, uh, like, no, a we much do not. We have murder <laughs> mysteries in Monterey to deal with. Instead. Okay. All right. Let's, let's focus on that instead. That sounds good. Though, <laughs> I mean, you messaged me last night. Cause like, you know, when we we're like deep in the thrones of it all last night, uh, Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost uh, announced their engagement. You're like, oh, this Game of Thrones finale news dump, um, which is like, you know, the kind of thing you say where you're like, when someone drops something, when they hope no one's paying attention. When someone fires like, our CEO. 
Yeah. And I'm just saying, like, the Trump administration really, I don't know if maybe they did, but they really should have tried to get away with some, like, stuff this last six weeks when we were all, like, distracted by Western. Yeah, we don't know um, what it was. We missed it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they just did get away with it. And I don't know. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I will miss the, like, the conversation even well more than the show itself. Uh, this has been a huge part of my life professionally and and uh i've met so many amazing people covering the show so uh yeah we did it it's done oh my god i i don't know if you get to feel the sense of accomplishment yet because you still have work to do but uh, i hope you feel accomplished it's really been uh an amazing run and yeah but there's only better things to come in the future and maybe less exhausting but please take a moment to pat yourself on the back let us all pat ourselves on the back for getting through the end of Game of Thrones in one piece. We all uh, did it. <laughs> we all did it. Oh, all I right, have one more uh, thing I'm going to miss. I'm yeah. going to say, I'm just going to miss Sir Davos. I just like him. I want him in my life. I, I'm glad that he's like, like the fact that he's arrived the entire series is almost surprising to me, but he's just this like unfailingly good and thoughtful character and I'm I'm happy for him. Uh, he forgot he has a wife and that's a problem for me, but... I uh, also forgot he has a wife. <laughs> He has a wife and, like, other children that he didn't lose in the Blackwater that he just, like, f- forgot about once uh, <sighs> they decided they weren't important. So let's hope that uh, Mariah Seaworth, his wife, is, uh, you know, living it up at King's Landing. Maybe she she's, like, it. on the Iron Islands with a, a Yara, like, in the, like, I just imagine it's, like, a lady colony like, for no reason. Um, So hopefully Excell- they're happy together. Absolutely. All right. Well, um happy travels to everyone no matter where you might going with a with the uh with the unsullied to the isle of noth with to the lady colony on iron islands whatever <laughs> your future holds okay katie uh for for people listening right now who have their finger hovering on the unsubscribe no button, what I should they do <laughs> knock knock that sword out of your hand like john tried to do with gray worm and failed um Stick around. Uh, Still watching is going to take two weeks off. Well-deserved two weeks off, I believe. Um, And then Joanna and Rich will be back on June 9th with Big Little Lies Season 2, which honestly, I fully expect to have as much drama as Game of Thrones. Uh, If not more so. I still can't really figure out even what it's going to be about other than a lot of people trying to keep a secret badly. Um, But I'm really excited. Uh, Still watching. We'll obviously keep going. Um, If Richard ever comes back from Europe, if he didn't marry Taryn Edgerton while he was over there, he'll be back on it. Um, so yeah, please stay tuned. Uh, still watching is wonderful. I'm really excited to listen to the Big Little Lies season. Um, I and oh, but also, if you want to find me and Joanna, where can you find us, Joanna? Uh, we're just kicking around vanityfair.com. You can find uh, Katie on Twitter at Katie Rich. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can listen to Katie on the podcast Fighting the Worm. You can listen to both of us talking together on the podcast Little Gold Men. And uh, yeah, other than that, you know, we're everywhere at all at all times, just like Bran. That's where we are. <laughs> yeah, and on, on, on Little Gold Men this week, too, we'll have a dispatch from Richard from Cannes, so you'll get a true Still Watching Little Gold Men crossover this week. I love it. I love how many people, like, uh, maybe got to hear you podcast for the first time on these last two episodes, and that makes me really happy because you were I had, incredible at this. I had multiple so. real-life friends being like, oh, you're on my Game of Thrones podcast. I'm like, yeah, whoa, okay. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I work at that company too. I, I know. I've been this, I've been part of that podcast since the beginning, and now you know. So hi everybody. Yeah, hello. Alright, well, we did it. Uh bon voyage everyone, and we will see you in Monterey in two weeks. <laughs>
I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.